please welcome to the stage our guest moderator, TV host and presenter, Steven Gettien. Wow, wow. Moin, danke dir. So, vielen herzlichen Dank. Schönen guten Abend. Geht's allen gut? Ja, alle sind bereit. Also vielen Dank nochmal fürs Warten. Das ist ein ganz toller Event heute Abend. Ich freue mich sehr. Ich hatte gestern schon die Gelegenheit, mit John Lasseter zusammen eine kleine Präsentation im Atheser Kino zu machen. Das ist ein ganz, ganz toller Mensch. Viele schöne Geschichten und ich freue mich drauf auf viele Fragen von eurer Seite und natürlich, dass wir hier oben ein kleines, nettes Gespräch haben. Vielleicht für euch zum Ablauf, ähm, wie das heute abläuft. Ähm, Pixar feiert ja in diesem Jahr sein 25-jähriges Jubiläum. Darüber werden wir kurz sprechen. Und natürlich über Cars 2. Wir haben ein paar Clips dabei. Und ich freue mich sehr, wenn ihr Fragen habt. Wir machen das am besten einfach so. Meldet euch kurz. Ich schaue dann, wo ihr sitzt. Wir geben euch ein Mikrofon und dann könnt ihr die Frage stellen. Wenn ihr sagt, jetzt mein Englisch ist nicht so toll, dann helfe ich euch gerne beim Übersetzen. Aber Hauptsache, wir haben Spaß und einen wunderschönen Abend. Und zur Einstimmung, damit ihr alle richtig in die, in die Stimmung kommt und äh, gute Laune habt, zeigen wir euch jetzt, Offiziell den International Trailer von Cast 2. Die Premiere übrigens am 28. Juli hier in München mit vielen Stargästen, unter anderem auch Robbie Williams, der den Titeltrack singt zu Cast 2. Jetzt erstmal viel Spaß und dann kommt unser Stargast des heutigen Abends, Cast 2, der Trailer. Pat, bitte. Mater, how'd you like to come and see the world with me? You mean it? Come on, buddy. From the creators of Toy Story 3. Oh, that's funny, Roger. <laughs> Welcome to the World Grand Prix. Three races over three countries, and only one team can win. Ciao! Go, McQueen! Hey, what's your strategy today? Wait for Lightning McQueen to choke, then win. Francesco always wins. It's a boarding. <sighs> Disney Pixar invite you on a road trip around the world. Welcome to London. <laughs> Is she American? Extremely. They don't speak the language. Uncle Tomalino! Una bella cena così in grasso. She said she's gonna fatten you up, eh? What? But they're about to discover someone wants to make this race their last. Lightning McQueen must be stopped. <laughs> Hold on, McQueen! Finn Mac Missile, British Intelligence. I'm Agent Shiftwell, Holly Shiftwell. You kids get all the good hardware. We need your help, Mater. You need my help? Sidley? Yes, Finn? Paris. Too sweet. <laughs> I'm dead and I'm ready. McQueen! Try to keep a low profile, Mater. Oh, you've got to be joking. Where are we? Inside Big Bentley. That's what I'm talking about. Bumper to bumper as they approach the finish line. He's a little excited, isn't he? Mater? So, 
Das ist also der Trailer zu Cars 2. Und jetzt kommen wir zu dem Mann, auf den wir alle natürlich warten. Er hat unter anderem zwei Oscars gewonnen, einen silbernen Bären. Er ist derjenige, der es seit Jahren schafft. Er ist ein absolutes Genie, Menschen, Millionen von ihnen ins Kino zu locken mit ganz, ganz tollen Filmen. Und wir freuen uns, dass er heute in München ist. Hier ist the one and only John Lasseter. <laughs> hey, Stephen, welcome. How are you? Hi, everybody. John, And it's so great to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, well, the Apple Store, this is awesome. Um, I... Uh, Those who don't know that um, uh, Pixar was, Steve Jobs was our CEO for, you know, 20-something years, and he was one of my best friends, and I remember Steve taking me to the very, very, very first Apple store when it first opened, just as it was an experiment in Glendale, uh, California, in the Glendale Galleria, and so... Um, one of the great experiences of my life was walking into an Apple store with Steve Jobs and looking at all the employees, you know, just like, that's Steve Jobs, you know, so. Um, I hope, does everybody speak English? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good, good. You're not going to do translation? No, no, no. Okay, we're going to talk in English the whole time. John, I just mentioned it to our audience today that uh, 25 years of Pixar, um, it's the anniversary so what does that mean to you as someone who has influenced the ways of Pixar in such an important way? In typical Pixar fashion, we're so focused on looking ahead to the future. Um, we uh, didn't realize it was our 25th anniversary until we passed the date. Um, <laughs> serious, seriously, someone said, hey, um, they did their calculator on their iPhone go, you know, um, 2011 is our 25th anniversary. And everybody looked at each other and said, when, when, like, when was the date that Steve signed the papers to buy us from Lucasfilm? Anybody know? And I, I thought it was February 10th, and someone thought it was the 11th. And we, and we had kind of bets going around, and we, we had to go back into the archives and find the paper and look, and it was February 3rd. And it was already passed, so we missed our date. <laughs> So we decided to have a big celebration in April because we opened a new building at Pixar and we had a big open house. But we typically at Pixar always are looking forward to our films. We, it takes four years to make one of our films. We're so focused on the story. The story, uh, we're probably working on the story for three and a half years of the four years making the film. And it's so important just to make every film really great. Um, and we're looking ahead so much that um, we never really take time to kind of look at the past and remember. But this year we have, and it's been really special. For those who don't realize it, when Steve bought um, our group, it was about 40 people. We were part of the Lucasfilm, um, and we were called the Lucasfilm Computer Division. It was focused on, and this group really, Ed Cavill came to Lucasfilm in 1979, And then um, we were bought in 1986. And so that short amount of time, seven years, um, we, this group in, um, developed and invented four really nutty, crazy ideas. Uh, digital nonlinear editing, digital sound editing, 
digital compositing of in, in, images, like digital optical printing and computer animation. None of that was even considered, like, no one even thought about those things, but, but that's what George Lucas asked Ed Catmull to do. And it's amazing to think about how each one of those things is, has changed the world. I mean, think about when's the last film has been cut on film. When's the last film has been edited, the sound has been edited on actual mag film. When's the last time a real optical printer has been used? And look at ever since Toy Story, what computer animation has done to the, you know, converted the industry. And it's remarkable to think about all four of those things were kind of created in that short amount of time. And when, when Steve Jobs bought our, our group from, from Lucasfilm and we formed Pixar, we were a, we were a technology company initially. The, we didn't start developing Toy Story, our first feature film, until 1991. <coughs> and it, it took four years to make, and so that came out in 1995. So really, that for the first nine years of Pixar, we were a computer company, a software company. You know, with, with, when we started in, in 1986, there was only four of us, me being one of them, was focused on computer animation research. The rest of it was, was dealing with the computer, uh, the Pixar image computer and all the software products we had, which included RenderMan, which is still sold and used today. So it's kind of interesting, looking back to 25 years, that you know, most of it was we were an animation studio. From 1995 on, we were Pixar animation studios. Prior to that, we were really this technology company. Um, but Steve, Steve always always knew that, that he was investing not in, the, in our products and our technology, but he was investing in the people. And I think it was a very good investment. But I have to give credit to Steve um, because there's no other single person in the world that would have invested over 10 years. We lost money for 10 years until Toy Story came out. And he invested his own personal money. It wasn't some company's money. It was out of his personal checkbook. He was investing into this, into this company. And he supported us through all that time. And he, he really, really, um, the, his, his belief in us and belief in our vision about co what computer animated films could do. And during the time we were making our first computer animated feature film, um, so few people believed that, that at that time, people would be interested in watching computer animation for a feature-length film, because at that time, computer animation was used primarily for TV station IDs, you know, the flying logos, uh, just a few commercials. And mostly it was like, you know, uh, Monday Night Football, you know, or Super Bowl, or ESPN, or those kinds of things. And everybody thought it was too cold, too cold for, for um, you know, to, to, to engage an audience for, for a feature-length film. And then Toy Story came out and became the number one movie of the year. And it changed, it changed everything after that. So no one, no one really had those comments after Toy Story came out. And the reason is, is Toy Story, we stayed focused not on the technology, but on the story and the characters. And I always knew that that's what entertains an audience. And we always stayed focused on that. You told this really great story about Toy Story yesterday when you basically said when it hit you that the audience would like animated feature films. 
if you would sort of recite that story again, that because it was really great. You said that no one believed in it and it was used for commercials, and then I think you were on vacation with your family, yeah. and then you. The, um, you know, it's interesting. You know, it when we were making Toy Story, we were up in Northern California, uh, north of Cupertino, up above San Francisco, in a place called. Um, Point Richmond, California, in these little rented buildings. No one, knew we, no one knew we were there at all. And we were quietly working on, on this feature-length film. And we, would, we were working very closely with Disney, Disney Animation at the time. And even within Disney, they kept it quiet. Because I think there was people at Disney that didn't really believe we could do. You know, we were nobodies. We just did little short films. Um, and and, and we were, they thought we were all technology geeks, uh, which we, a lot of us were, you know, but I was a traditionally trained animator, and I had Andrew Stanton, Pete Docter, and um, Joe Ramped with me, and that was about it. It was like we were the kind of creative core, and we were so focused on telling a great story, and all this time it was just us, and, it, you know, four years is a long time. It says as long as someone typically goes to college or to high school in the United States, so the movie comes out, and we're, pretty, we're really proud of it. We're very excited. And it got tremendous reviews. And when it opened, it was a massive hit. But still, it was, it was ours. It was our characters. Buzz Lightyear, Woody the Cowboy, it was our characters. And so um, I had heard that Disney World was going to do a little tiny parade uh, based on Toy Story. And I grew up in... Southern California, and I worked at, at Disneyland during college as a ride operator on the Jungle Cruise, and I thought, anything at one of the Disney parks based on my characters, I have got to see. So I <laughs> took my Nancy, my wife, and, and um, all my kids. We hopped on an airplane, flew down to Florida, and we saw this, and it was pretty exciting. Flying home, five days after the movie comes out, we're changing planes in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. I get off of the plane, and there, standing at the gate, was a mother and a little boy about four years old. And he's holding a Woody the Cowboy doll. This is far, far away from Pixar, far, far away from my home, far away from Walt Disney World. And there was a little boy holding a character that, that we had created. And the look on his face, I'll never forget to this day. The joy, the excitement. He was there to show his father his new toy. And it was a character we had created. And my sons were so excited. Dad, Dad, look, look, look. And they go, go tell him who you are. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it dawned on me at that point that that, that that character was no longer ours. It was his. And it, it kind of really moved me because of the look on his face. And it's kind of burned into my, I close my eyes and see his face. And I think of that little boy every single day I work at Pixar because it really defines to me success. You know, a lot of people, you know, wonder, you know, what is your personal measure of success? And, you know, in all of your, your, your lives and your professions and your careers and whatever, you all, ha all have your, what your, your personal level of success is. And in Hollywood, typically it's box office, opening weekend, whatever. 
and Academy Awards, you know, Lifetime Achievement Awards and all like that. And to me, it's that little boy holding a character I created and the look on his face. And he didn't know who I was. It didn't matter. He wouldn't know who I was if even if I said. But it's like I never forgot that boy. And it's like every single, and I'm not kidding, every single day I think of him and I go, this is why we do what we do. And that's why we've been so dedicated to making every one of our films at Pixar really great. And um, Steve has been so much a part of my life and Pixar's life in, in, in guiding us. And I remember early, early in um, development of, of Toy Story, and we were working on it, and we were talking one day, and he said, you know, because John, you know, um, at Apple, you know, when I make one, a computer, it's like, what's the lifespan of one of our computers we make? Three years? He said, maybe five years, it's a doorstop, you know? Because the technology moves so fast. He said, if you do your job right, what you create can last forever. And it really hit me, and I kept thinking about that. And I started thinking about why, you know, why I got into the business is the films of Walt Disney. And, and think about it. Just think about it for a second. What, name another movie from 1938 that is watched today or will be watched 10 years from now or 20 years from now as much as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You know? And even you could say from 1995, how many films today are watched as much as Toy Story? And it's like, if we do our job right, what is that? It's, it's telling a great story that, is, that lives beyond the technology that created it, that, that understands the technology that created it, and uses it to its maximum capacity, but makes it all believable, you know? And, and, and that's what we, every movie we do, we have a we love of the technology we use. And, and, and an understanding of what it can and can't do. And we adjust the stories to match that, but also we challenge the technology constantly because every, every story we come up with has something we don't know how, how to do. And that's what, that's what fuels the creative passion at Pixar for the technology. And every person at Pixar is willing to take, the, take on the job of saying, you know what, well, here, we don't know how to do this, try to figure it out. And they live for that. And they always, they always go way, be, way beyond what we expect. And, that's what, and then it inspires us to come up with new ideas. And I've kind of, it's, it's sort of the way we work at Pixar is, as I say, the art challenges technology and technology inspires the art. It's this kind of interesting yin-yang. You know, it's, it's, it's this circle that keeps happening and keeps pushing the boundary of the art and the technology together forward. And um, it kind of was a foundation of what was unique about our group at Lucasfilm, unique in the world, because back in the 19, I started with them in 1983. And back then, in the world of computer animation and computer graphics, all of the art that you were seeing, the computer graphics and the computer animation were created by the people who wrote the software. Back then, there was no Apple Store that you had these shelves of, you know, 3D animation software you could buy. There was, there was no off-the-shelf software available. 
It was only at a few universities around the world and a, just a handful of companies. And, and it was like imagining a world where all the paintings were created by the chemists who mixed up the paint. And I came as, as a traditionally trained animator, trained by these great Disney artists. And I, as I started working with the Lucasfilm Computer Division and these brilliant, brilliant guys who invented much of computer animation, I thought I would need to learn how to program because most computer animation was done with programs at that time. And I looked at them and I realized, wait, Dr. Edwin Catmull, Dr. William Reeves? It's like, wait a minute, these guys are PhDs. I can't possibly know what they, they know about computer, computers and computer animation. But then it dawned on me that I've been trained by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, Willie Ritherman, Eric Larson, Ken O'Connor, these great Disney artists who worked with Walt Disney. And, and they taught me to bring a character to life and give him personality and emotion through pure movement, nothing else. That's what I've been trained at. And it's like, they don't know that. And so instead of trying to learn what they know and me teaching them what I know, I'm just going to sit right next to them and we are going to work in collaboration. And this is where what was unique about Pixar what was unique about the Lucasfilm computer vision. Unlike anywhere else in the world, it was that knowledge of let's combine the technology and the art, the expertise of both, and, and work together. And the view of the technology is a tool. Because I always felt that, that with technology, you know, think about going to the movie theaters. When have you gone to a movie and a feature film has entertained you 100% because of the technology used? Wow, that movie was awesome. That camera that they used, unbelievable. <laughs> that set of lenses, you know, that light that was, can you imagine? Wow, <laughs> right? No. It's the story, it's the characters, it's the emotion, it's the acting, it's the humor. This is what you walk out going, wow, because. And so I always knew, and, then, and I, I started working right away and kind of brainwashing all of my colleagues to say, it's the story and the characters that makes this stuff work. You know, but I tell you, I am so excited about everything I'm seeing here, and I start getting new ideas that I would have never thought of. And that's where this, this this sort of collaboration that was so unique. And we started from then and building the tools with the knowledge of traditionally trained artists will use. And the second animator we hired into our group was, was Andrew Stanton and the third animator was Pete Doctor. And then Joe Ramth came along too in, in, as, as a story artist. And it was this kind of magical combination of us working with the most brilliant te technicians. And we just kept feeding off of each other and pushing, pushing the art for them. And, and what was so exciting is to have Steve Jobs as our leader, Ed Catmull as our leader. And we were in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, sort of the home of Apple, the home of Intel, the home of Silicon Valley. And it's so different than Los Angeles, so different than almost anywhere else I've been, whereas back, there's a, people seem to get rooted in this is the way we do things. In the, air, in, in the, the Bay Area with Stanford and Berkeley and and all that's going on, there is this, there's this culture of entrepreneurism where it says, you know, give it a try. Why not? You know, give it a try. Let's see what we can do. And what's, what's fascinating 
is that back then, you know, computer animation, it was an art form that has grown out of a science. It's an art form that's grown out of a science. In science, there is a culture of experimentation. Like, you name any science there is, when people are doing R&D and experimentation, right? What it, it's like they think of a theory of what to do, and they, ex, they think about an experiment, they try an experiment. 99.9% .9 of the time, it fails. And then they learn from it, they study it, they keep trying, and they keep going. And one time in their career, they'll come with a breakthrough, and it, and it, you know, it's penicillin. You know, it changes the world, right? But it's like one time, or insulin, or something like that. You know, and, and, and so there's a culture of, you, you expect failure. And so this is what the foundation of Pixar has been all this time. Built upon Ed Catmull's, you know, coming from science. And it is so unique and unusual in, in the culture of Hollywood. You know, the way I describe it is that imagine a circus artist, a trapeze artist. He's up high on his perch. He's holding on to his trapeze. He's looking across at the guy who's going to catch him. He is going to set a world record. This is what he wants to do more than anything else. If it was Hollywood, not only would there be no net below him, there would be poison spikes down there. Because <laughs> if you fail, oh, you're, oh, you've lost it, you're bad, you're whatever, you, you know, whatever. It's, it's, that's, it's a culture of people in fear of losing their job. And no one's willing to take a risk. At Pixar, in the San Francisco area, in this culture of entrepreneurism, not only is that trapeze artist look down, which I feel like I was, it's not only is there a net, but there's down comforters and fluffy pillows, you know, and bean bags and the whole thing. And it's just saying, try it, keep going, you know, and you keep trying and keep falling, it doesn't matter because it's a culture of, you know, failure is okay. In fact, it's kind of like you expect it because then you look at it and keep going. And it's, it's, it's interesting how this over time and people come there and, and Ed Catmull always says that when I got to, to Lucasfilm after working at Disney all these years and frankly I kept pushing Disney to try to do computer animation and my insistence and we did a little 30 second test by, by you know, and I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. I eventually got fired because they just got tired of me because they kept, they kept saying no and I kept ignoring them. And, and when I went up to Lucasfilm, I looked at all these brilliant people that Ed Cabell had hired, and I asked them, you know, how did you get all these amazing people? Because these are really the best people in the world at the time. And Ed was just, I don't know, I just try to hire people that are smarter than myself. <laughs> you know, on our 25th anniversary, Ed stood up in front of 1,200 <laughs> Pixar people, knowing he was employee number one, and he has always tried to hire people that are smarter than myself, and he said, well, I guess it makes me the dumbest person at Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, that, it's that, that culture of hiring smart people, letting them shine, letting them become stars, letting them, you know, change the world. And he sits back so proud like a father. And Steve is so proud like a father, you know. And just you want people to keep trying to break, break the new records all the time in every film, you know. And everybody at Pixar which is fascinating. It's totally different than any other studio. You ask anybody at Pixar, what's the most important thing to them? And they'll all say, number one, Pixar. 
Number two, the movie they're working on. And some down the line, they'll say themselves. And it's in Hollywood, you know, in the culture of Hollywood, with agents and lawyers and, you know, managers and all this stuff, it's, everybody's looking out for themselves. And it's, it's um, you know, people always ask me, you know, gosh, wow, you guys have quite a track record. You know, with Cars 2 coming out as our 12th movie, how do you do it? 12, 12 for 12. And I look at them kind of blankly. I said, how do you not do it? You know? How do you, it's like, you know, don't you want to make, if you're working on a movie, don't you want to make it awesome? Don't you want to really entertain people all around the world? I mean, I don't think anybody really wants to sit down and go, I'm really going to do a crappy job this time. <laughs> you know? So I, I, I just, you know, Pixar is one of those really magical, wonderful places. And everybody visits there, you feel it in the culture. You just feel it there. And I don't know if any of you have had, had in, 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 in Apple Store employees here, if you've ever been lucky enough to go to the Cupertino campus of Apple, like you have that kind of feeling there as well. But it really does come down from the top, you know, and the, and the amazing leadership we've had with Steve and with Ed Catmull and, and all. It's pretty remarkable. Amazing stories, amazing movies. You just mentioned it. Cars 2 is number 12. Yeah. I think we should take a quick look at one of the clips because we brought a couple Which of clips. Which clip do we have? Um, this is the one, the bathroom scene. Okay, so those who haven't seen the movie, um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they haven't because it's uh, officially coming yeah, to theaters on the 28th. You're at an Apple store. I know you've seen the movie, you know? <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. And maybe really low res and crappy. Do not raise your you hand, though. So, um, so where this is, is, is Cars 2 is very different than the first Cars. Cars 2 is a spy movie. It's a spy movie. And um, Lightning McQueen is invited to the World Grand Prix, which is an international race of champions, where he's going to race against uh, Formula One cars, um, German DTM cars, the Le Mans cars, Japanese race cars, you know, rally cars. It's very cool. It's like an all-star race. And it's set in three races in Japan, Tokyo, Japan, um, the Italian Riviera in a town called Porta Corsa, and in London, England. And it's to see who's the world fastest car. And, but there is a conspiracy going on because it's also the coming out party for a new alternative fuel that's clean burning, renewable, made from renewable resources called All in All. And it's going to be a big coming out party for it. And there's these, and the bad guys of the movie are the lemon cars of the world. Lemon cars, if you're not familiar with the term, are the, the really, really mechanically terrible cars that, that the world has turned their back on, back on. In the United States, there's two really notable lemons, and that's the Gremlins and Pacers from the a AMC. <laughs> they're the ugliest cars, some of the ugliest cars ever made, but they're gorgeous in their ugliness. And so they are, <laughs> and so these are the bad guys, and they are out to undermine this new alternative fuel. You don't exactly know why until the end. And so at, in the first race in Japan, there's a big pre-party that's really glitzy and fancy and Mater has a little accident in front of everybody where he leaks quite a bit of oil on the ground. And so he has to clean himself up and he's rushing to a Japanese bathroom. And anybody who's been to Japan and experienced a Japanese toilet, you know what Mater's going to go through with here. But so is, is that actually based on, on your own experience? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, 
Without the accident, though. Yeah. It's like... I mean, you know, if you've ever been to a Jap J J Japan, Japanese toilets are very interesting. They're very high-tech. First of all, you sit on them. They're warm. <laughs> Toilet seats are not supposed to be warm. Because it means that someone was just on it, and that's gross. <laughs> right? So they're heated, right? That's the first thing that was weird. And next to you, there's a whole bunch of buttons written in Japanese with little icons. And if you're brave enough to push one, it's pretty exciting what happens. And then um, you wonder, how in the hell did they do that? You know, so, so anyway, it's, 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 it's uh, yeah, we, we've had quite a, the last sort of family's had quite a few experiences. And any, by the end of it, me and my sons, the entire bathroom is wet by, by showing it off and watching how it squirts water and blows air and all that stuff. So, but anyway, it, it was sort of fun. And we thought, okay, Mater, the tow truck, or in this country, he's called Hook, you know, he uh, has quite a bit of fun um, with, with this experience. So let's watch this first clip. Yeah, let's take a look at the clip. I gotta go. Uh, oh, uh, what, uh, uh. Sorry, ladies. I'm leak. I never 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 leak. Oh, I never leak. I never leak, I never leak, never. A great clip and a great movie, and I think we should take some questions uh, sure. from our audience. So, yeah, who has we, a question? We have a, a few we have a few more clips we'll show you as yeah. we go through this evening. So, don't be shy. Okay. Der Herr, bitte, wir haben ein Mikrofon, glaube ich, hier direkt am Rand mit der Brille. Da, die Dame kommt da mit dem Mikrofon. Das dauert ein bisschen. Super. Okay. Um, is it on? Haben wir das äh, Mikrofon an? I have a question. I have two sons. My younger son is about four years old, and my older son, he is 80 years. 80? 18. Okay. <laughs> oh. Not 80. <laughs> and I am 50 years. And uh, all the three of us like to watch Toy Story. But I see some things my little son can see in this film. But how do you make this, that all the three of us enjoy this film in another way? Thank you. Yeah, it's a, a great compliment, thank, thank you, because um, it's one of our goals at Pixar. You know, there's a term that's used, I think, for Pixar films called a family film. And typically, in Hollywood terms and film terms, that means it's a movie just for kids. But I've had, I have five sons, and I love taking my boys to see the movies as we, they were growing up. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched a movie for them and I'm sitting there just bored. Or I take them to see a movie that you think is a family film and it's like, boy, there's something in it that's, that's not really for them. 
you know, inappropriate or something, and I feel embarrassed, or, or it's over their head. I think one of my greatest memories, I was, I'm not going to say what film it was. We were, <laughs> we were out of film. We had the whole family there, and my youngest son, who's now 14, he was qu quite young, he's sitting there, and we're watching this film, and it is so boring. <laughs> what goes, movie was it again? And he gets, I'm not saying. <laughs> and he said, dad, 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 dad. And I go, what? What is it? He goes, how many letters are in my name? <laughs> <laughs> And I just started laughing. His name is Jackson. And I go, seven. He goes, okay, thanks. <laughs> and I just started laughing, thinking, oh, my. This movie has lost this little boy so long ago. He's sitting there <laughs> going, Jackson. Jackson. You know? And I, and I just started laughing. I tell my wife, she laughs, and she goes down the whole family, and everybody's <laughs> laughing. And I walk out going, if ever, ever a little boy turns to his dad in one of our movies and says, how many letters are in my name? <laughs> I, I retire. I'm done. <laughs> you know, because in, in, part of it is it's just really, really hard. You know, creating a story for a feature film that really, really deeply entertains adults as well as children, teenagers, you know, it's really hard. One of the things that we do is that we aim high with our audience. Oftentimes, Hollywood, which is very inherently very cynical, they think the, 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 the audience around the world is, is dumb, right? And they aim down to them. We think the opposite. We think the audience, and especially kids, are extremely smart. And they'll be there for you if you tell a smart story. Um, we like to, to dig deep into the emotion of the story. The emotion, if you've seen the Pixar films, each of our films has a, has a deep emotional core. The deep emotional core comes from the arc of the main character. And the arc, simply put, is what does the main character learn through the journey of the film? First of all, you want to make your characters as appealing as possible so the audience really likes the character. And then you take them on this emotional journey. The character is not perfect. You don't want to make them such, so perfect that it's like no one is like that. They are flawed. Every character we have is a flawed character. But, but they, they and, and, but you want to care for these characters. Say, oh, don't do that. Woody, don't push Buzz Lightyear out the window in Toy Story, you know? And, and it's, it's through this arc, you, you get this emotional connection. And then we surround this character with, with really, really smart, funny characters. And the humor in Pixar films is always, com always comes from the, the personality of the characters and put into situations. It's not just a topical humor. Because I believe that if, it's, if, if the humor is part of the personality of the character and in a particular situation, it'll be equally as funny 20 years from now. If it's based upon something really topical that may be funny this year, next year you kind of remember that it was funny. Five years from now, you won't remember it. And, and it's, 
But the humor is, is something that is more, you might say more easily added, but we do it through the development of the characters. The, the emotion, though, is the foundation. You have to get that right first. And it's really, really important because it's really kind of the movies that I love the most. We kind of make the movies the kind of movies we like to watch. We like going to the movies. We're reasonably intelligent adults, but we have families, too, and we like to see them with the families. And we have, we have our parents and our grandparents that, you know, we don't want to make a movie that, that we would be embarrassed that our parents would watch, you know? And so, so it's kind of all those things combined. But it's also, you know, every Pixar film, and people don't believe this, but all 12 of Pixar films, at one point in time or another, was the worst motion picture ever made because the story just wasn't working. But we never gave up on the idea. We never gave up on ourselves. And we trusted the process. And the process is just, just keep showing it, keep talking about it, being honest with each other. And then, so one of the things that, as chief creative officer, you know, it, in Hollywood, it's very easy to surround yourself with people who just say, because of whatever supposed power that you have in a position like I have, they just want to agree with you and say yes. But that's, that's forbidden at Pixar. It's about honesty. And it doesn't matter whose idea it is. There's no hierarchy to the idea. The best idea, whether it comes from me, Andrew Stanton, or the receptionist, is used. Is it going to make the movie better? We use it, you know? And we're really, really honest about that, you know? And we just, we, every three to four months, we watch the films during production. Religiously, we watch them. Whether you want to show it or not, show it. You know, Andrew Stanton had coined this great phrase. Because every time that you are, you go to the next stage of production, from script to storyboard, storyboard to story reel, you know, the first time you, 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 you put it to this next stage, it's not going to be right. But he says, be wrong as fast as you can. Just put it up there. Let's see it. You know you're going to be wrong. That's okay. But the faster you can get up there, the, the faster we can make it right. And it's just this, 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 this really hard work that we do. And it's, it's one of those things we're so dedicated to is to make these films. And it's like we will never rest on our laurels because we know every movie is different and we know every movie is difficult. And they're really difficult to do. Vielen Dank für die Frage. Mehr Fragen? Um, he, he, was, he was saying Luxo Jr. was the first, first film that, and I appreciate that, that we made in 1986, the year that um, it came out. And, um, and he, was, he was remarking about how simple it was that there was no eyes, no mouth put on it. Like in cars, we do put the eyes and mouth on it. And he was, he was asking about that. And it's a, great, it's a great question because ever since I started, you know, I loved cartoons. I always loved cartoons. But there was something that I always loved the most in, in animation is when they brought an inanimate object to life, right? There's Mickey through the looking glass. There was some really cool stuff in that. I don't know if you remember in, in the sword in the stone, there was a sugar bowl that kept filling the tea, tea cup with tons of sugar. And little moments, there's a, there's a flower sack that comes to life in, in Sleeping Beauty. And I can go on and on with little moments you know, the, the inanimate object. And I always loved that. And when I started seeing computer animation, I thought, man, you could, there's a photorealistic quality. Even in the early days of computer animation, you could bring an object and make it, bing, bing, bing. It looked like you could touch it. 
And so I started, I started thinking about, like, this could be really cool with bringing an inanimate object to life. And so I had started um, using the Luxo lamp, the angle poise lamp, the architect's lamp that, that artists have. It was on my drawing table in my office. And I needed to learn how to model. And it was very complicated at the time. There was no kind of interactive system we had. And I thought, oh, this is easy. It's right there. I could reach it. And so I started measuring it and drawing a graph paper and modeling it in the computer. And I, um, Bill Reeves and Evan Osby, my, my um, colleagues, were helping me learn how to model. And I was kind of bringing it to life. And I started then moving it. Because in, in computer animation, you, if you model a three-dimensional model within the computer. And then you have to indicate. Um, where it's going to move, rotation points, translation points, things like that. That's what you use later on in animation to actually, you know, move it and give it life. And so, and so I started kind of working with this lamp and moving it around, and it was kind of fun. And I, and I wanted to bring it to life without using eyes and a face. And, and I always thought, one of the first things that I do when I bring an inanimate object to life is I try to figure out where, where is the face? You know, without eyes or mouth or whatever, where is the face? Because at, when you start moving it as a character, the face, and if the character has eyes, the eyes, they are the window to the soul of the character. And it gives, one of the simple principles of animation is that you always kind of lead with the eyes and lead with the head. You know, so if you sit there and you just kind of turn like this, you sort of look robotic, you know, for someone with a really stiff neck. But, but if you kind of look first and then turn, or look first and reach, you know, all of a sudden it starts giving a sense of what Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, the great Disney animator, said. It starts giving, making the character a thinking character. All of the goal is, in animation, to make a character look like all of its movements are generated by the character's thought process. He's thinking first, and then he moves. And that's what the looking is. And the Luxo lamp really became kind of the simplest little character I could, I could do. You know, but it had this nice, flexible lamp. But what was nice is I wanted, I gave myself the, 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 the limitation. I wanted to animate him only using the controls the real lamp had. You know, that the head kind of swivels like that, moves up and down, you know, and the arms kind of move. And so I was able to get quite a bit of movement. Um, one of my colleagues, Tom Porter, who still, you know, still works at Pixar, he um, brought in his newborn baby son. It was probably about, you know, uh, six months old at the time, and they're so cute. And I kept looking at him and playing with him because I love kids. And, and, I, and it was interesting when you look at babies, what makes them so cute is that, you know, they're, they're, they're scaled differently than, than an adult, you know. And I, his little hands could hardly reach the top, the, the <laughs> touch the top of his head. And so after he left, I came back to the lamp and I started looking at it thinking, what would a baby lamp look like? <laughs> so I started scaling, because that's what's neat with a computer. You could scale things. So I started scaling this, this regular Luxo lamp, in, you know, really short arms. I left the shade kind of bigger. I left the light bulb 
the exact same size, thinking that that's something that doesn't grow. You buy that at a hardware store, <laughs> you know? And the base was kind of big. You know how, like, baby German Shepherds have those huge feet and it makes them look super cute, you know? Like little puppies, but really big feet. And I sort of thought, well, his, his base would be kind of like that. And then, and then I started kind of animating it, and it, it kind of came up with a very simple... And Ed Catmull, about this time, is right around the time that Luke... That, that Steve Jobs bought us from, from Lucasfilm when we formed Pixar. At that time, there was a, a, a conference in, in the United States called SIGGRAPH, which was really the big thing in, in the computer graphics world, because not much else was going on, you know, really big internationally. And so it was really the thing where all, all new development was being shown at SIGGRAPH. And so he said, we wanted to show a film in the film show at SIGGRAPH that says who we are, and so start thinking of something. And I just turned and looked at this lamp, and I started developing just a very simple story. And Luxor Jr. is about only a minute and a half long. Well, we were four people in the animation department at the time. Um, I didn't have, I had an office, but our workroom, we had one computer that we could share, an interactive, it's the Evans and Sutherland picture system, um, which was a very, it's a vector graphics system. And it was very expensive, and we only had one of them, and we had to share it. And we actually were in a hallway. You know, we had this little dead-end hallway, and that was our, our kind of graphics room, we called it. And we started sitting there um, working on it. And, I was, and, and, and we, Bill Reeves, who was making this with me, and Emma Nosby, they came to me and said, we don't have enough computer power to do any um, moving cameras. And it's like, come on, that's like the thing to do with computer animation is move the camera around. That's why it's so cool. And I go, yeah, we can't do that, John. <laughs> and, they, and I go, okay. And they go, and by the way, we can't have any background. We can't afford the computer, you know, to, to be able to render it in time. What do you mean, no background? <laughs> Just black? I go, yeah. And I, and I said, so, I said, can I have a floor? Because they need to sit on something. They go, okay, how about you could have a floor. So we did a wood floor. They just faded off into black. And Bill Reeves had invented um, the first, what we say, self-shadowing. Because prior to that, any shadows were just uh, cast shadows. And, and it was just a copy of the same model, you know, scaled completely flat in one degree and just kind of colored black and laid on the ground. And that was a fake shadow. That's really what was going on with shadows at the time. And so Bill kind of created this, this whole thing that where you can shadow yourself. And it was, using the lamps was a perfect kind of description of this. So we thought, okay, this will be really cool. But I couldn't move the camera and I didn't have any background, so it's fine. All right, great. So I did the, the little minute and a half animation. Sigraf was in Dallas, Texas that year. And they, they, it was accepted into the film. It's kind of like a film festival, but they had this film show. And it's in a big conference hall, and there's a thousand people or so at this conference, and it's more like a rock concert, you know? And everybody's cheering for, you know, crystal balls floating over checkerboards, <laughs> you know, and stuff. And so, and all these fancy stuff with moving cameras and backgrounds and all this stuff, and it's just, it's all kind of, interesting from a technical standpoint, but kind of boring as movies. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to be bad, you know, with this, like, boring imagery and stuff like that. Well, Luxor Jr. came up, and 
before the minute and a half was over, they were giving it a standing ovation. And it, and it was very exciting. And Steve was sitting next to me. It was really exciting. It was the first year of Pixar. And I'll never forget that right after that, one of the real pioneers of computer animation that worked with um, Ed Catmull at the University of Utah, and he was at Jet Propulsion Laboratory, his name Jim Blinn, and he was a real pioneer in computer graphics. He, and I knew him from different conferences, and he came up to me and he said, John, I have a question for you. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> this guy was super smart. And he, I was like, he's gonna ask me about the self-shadowing algorithm or something, and I'm sure not gonna have the answer for him. And, um, and he said, was the parent lamp a mother or a father? Because <laughs> the story was about like a big lamp and the baby lamp, you know? And, and I laughed and I thought, oh my God, we did it. And it was the very, very first time in computer animation history that a computer animated film was entertaining audiences because of the story and the characters, not because of the mere fact it was made by a computer. And to this day, you know, everybody cites Luxo Jr. as kind of the steamboat willy of the computer animation world, that it showed the world, wait, you can create characters with computer animation that really engage the audience. And it was um, really exciting, and it really set the, you know, set the tone for what we were about at Pixar. You know, that, that it may be simple, but it really will move you, you know. And so, and so that's why it's Luxo Jr. is in the, the Pixar logo, and we very proudly have it there. And it's also, I like about our logo, is it's just really simple, you know? I mean, how many, I mean, you all go to the movie theaters, and how many, you know, THX and Digi, uh, <laughs> uh, the D Dolby Digital and all the 3D stuff now, and they just kind of break your eardrums, and they're all fancy, and... <laughs> What's the point? And we have a simple lamp squishing an eye, you know, and it's, it's sort of, it's a tribute to our first film, so. Liebe Gäste, a living legend, lots of stories, fantastic. No, 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 wait, 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 you're, okay. not, you're not winding up, no. I am, I'm No, we got stuff to show. Okay. All right, the next okay. scene we're gonna show. <laughs> Come on, I want you to. I want to show you some cool stuff because you're going to want to go see Cars 2 the more you see stuff. Okay, the, the, the next thing we're going to show, this is the beginning of the film. This is um, every spy movie has to start with a kick-ass spy opening. So this is the kick-ass, part of the kick-ass spy opening. All right. Cool. Let's take it. No, no, I'm, let's Here go. Here we go. Next, next clip. Pat, he's a oil rig.
That's an awesome new character in Cars 2. His name Finn McMissile. And in the original English language version, uh, Michael Caine does the voice for it. And he's very cool. And it's really fun. Um, so one of the things that we, I just want to show you one more thing, because um, I promised my son to, to see this. Um, uh, we, we love to do um, special animation for each market that, to help with the marketing and all like that. And also, we just love these characters, and it's so much fun. So this is a really nutty, crazy little thing. Now, in Cars 2, there were supposed to be five races, and one of them was going to take place here in Bavaria, because I love Munich, I love Bavaria, and the movie was way too big, and things got trimmed down and restructured. And I'm sorry to say, there's still Oktoberfest in the end credits, but um, <laughs> German race didn't make it into the film. I'm sorry. But uh, we fell in love with these little characters, and we did the special animation for the German market. It's, it's a short one at the end. Um, Pat, this oh, is... Oh, do we have any... What, what other credit... Clips the other have? one is uh, with the voiceovers that we have. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we need to see that first. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that's super cool. Okay. okay. One of the things we do that's really special is that being computer animation, we could take and sort of change things out. And so um, I fell in love with this. Um, I love German DTM race cars. They are some of the coolest looking cars, you know, in the world. And we had to have one in here. And so we... So excited. We got to... Um, in the German language version, Sebastian Vettel. And Lewis Hamilton, he's talking in German as well. So, Ferrari, unreifen, komm schnell. Sieh dir das an. Okay, bitte denk an unsere Abmachung. 1A benehmen. Ist gepunkt, Kumpel. Hey, was ist denn das? Nein, bitte, du. Komm her. Lewis, hey Mann. Sebastian. Hey, Lightning, hast du schon mal so eine irre Party erlebt? Erste Sahne, alle Blätter erwischt. Seht euch mal den Abschleppwagen da. Mann, zu wem der wohl gehört? Äh, entschuldigt ihr beide mich mal einen ganz kleinen Moment. Cars 2. Sehr cool. Come on, Sebastian, Sebastian Vettel. Oh, that's so awesome. And, and then Lewis Hamilton, two Formula One champs doing the voice. So, okay, so this is a really fun little quirky animation we did just for you guys. Servus! <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> it's, so, it's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just nutty. I, that's all I can say. It just cracks us up every time. It's so short. But, you know, at Pixar, I mean, honestly, we, we laugh every day at work. And it's like doing like this. We are just in hysterics. And we just, we, we hope they like it. Because, boy, we sure do. You know? <laughs> and it's really fun. So, um, but anyway, uh, you have to go. I have to go. No, I think we both have to okay. go. Okay. Anyway, thank you so much for having us. And I think this is awesome. They do this at the Apple stores. So anyway, I want to keep supporting the Apple store. Say, do more of these. This is fantastic. Exactly. And now we're going to do, I think we should do a whole John Lasseter day at the Apple <laughs> store because there's so many stories, so many clips to show. Living legend. Ladies and gentlemen, John Lasseter. And Stephen. Thank you for making my job so easy. Yeah.
Canlı Asıl'dan.